Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com/fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com/fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. Pull out one nutsedge weed from your lawn or garden and nine more will come to its funeral. Nutsedge, also called nutgrass, is tough to control. And one of the worst things you can do is to pull this weed out of the ground. Our favorite retired college horticulture professor, Debbie Flower, has some better ideas on how to control this widespread weed. UC Davis Arboretum Superintendent Emeritus Warren Roberts tells us about a very popular fall-blooming plant of the week, the Michaelmas Daisy. It's on episode 141 of the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, Brought to you today by SmartPots and Dave Wilson Nursery. And we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. Good morning, Farmer Fred. This is Jerry here in Sacramento. Longtime listener, big fan of yours. How do I get rid of sage grass? It's so invasive in my garden beds and it moved on to my garden area my grass area. Well, Jerry, thank you so much for uh, contacting us via speakpipe.com. It's really easy. It's good audio quality. It's free. If you want to leave a question for us, just go to speakpipe.com slash garden basics and uh, get your question in just like Jerry in Sacramento did. Jerry Debbie Flower, who is here, uh, Jerry thinks he has sage grass when I think of sagegrass, I, I think of a Midwestern native plant. I don't think that's right. what he's talking about. Right, right. I agree. It probably isn't what he's talking about. Not likely to be an invasive plant in Sacramento area. Correct. And so I, I contacted uh, Jerry to inquire about other possibilities that it might be. And he said, yes, you're right. I meant nutsedge. Nutsedge. <laughs> yes. Yes. Nutsedge is a big problem in this area. Uh, nutsedge sedges look like grass, but when they flower, their f- flower parts are on a stem that is triangular. Way to remember it is sedges have edges. Oh, that's good. Yes. I like that. And if you roll the flower stalk in your fingers, then you can feel those edges. The blades are like a wide grass blade, but they're stiffer and they are waxy. And that makes them quite difficult to get rid of uh, from above because that wax sheds all kinds of things. Then below ground, at the ends of their roots, they create storage organs called nutlets. And they put food in those nutlets and they can germinate from those nutlets. And Pam Bone told me a joke once that said, uh, yes, you pull one nutsedge and nine come to the funeral <laughs> because you don't get the nutlets. When you pull the plant out of the ground, you don't get the nutlets and then they germinate. Pam Bone, by the way, Master Gardener, who's been on this program, and I, I like that uh, little saying of yes. hers because it's very true. It is very true. Yes. It is very true. I had uh, uh, nutgrass in proliferating in a yard of mine here in the Sacramento region and spent an entire summer sitting on a five-gallon pot turned over, so I sat on the bottom, and I made myself a s- sifter just from some very fine... Um, fencing and a wood frame and stapled it to the wood frame and I spent 
days digging down a shovel full, a little bit more. You have to go about 10 inches down and just going through the whole front yard, digging the soil up and sifting out the nutlets and throwing them out. That's one way to get rid of it. Yeah, (laughs) I I could see you doing that. But, Jerry, the one thing you don't want to do, don't yank it out of the ground. Right. If, If anything, take a shovel, go out a couple of inches, three inches or so, dig down as far as your shovel head can go and bring up that entire uh, mound of dirt. So I guess the, a good idea might be to moisten the ground before you do that. And yes. that way the soil will stay together and then bring up that clump that will contain the nuts edge plant. Nuts edge, nutgrass, same thing, right? Um, some people would disagree, but common names are common names. So I say they are interchangeable. All right. And then uh, <laughs> I'd throw out the whole plant. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. yes. And don't don't put it in your compost pile. You got to get rid of it. As I said, I did that for a whole summer here. Uh, in, in <laughs> That's one, all you did. The front yard, it is. I'd go out for a period of time every day. And I had it in the backyard as well. And what I did in the backyard was solarize. And that worked very well. I was surprised how well it worked because those nutlets, I didn't know how deep those nutlets were going. I was going in a shovel full deep. And I have a reference from... Um, uh, Clemson University that says 10 inches to get all of the nutlets. Uh, that's going to vary by your soil, your location. You know, 10 inches is not a, a set in stone. Uh, but I was, and I'm not aware of, of solarization working 10 inches down unless you're in maybe pure sand. So, but I did try solarization, which is a process of basically heating up the soil. So I tilled uh, the soil now, I didn't use a commercial tiller. I probably used a shovel and turned it over and, and broke up the clods and moistened it. It has to be moist and then got clear plastic and laid it over the, the this area, buried the edges. The whole edges have to be buried in solarization and left it in the hottest part of the year for six weeks minimum. And that heats up the soil above 140 degrees, which kills everything there. Uh, don't worry about the worms and the the good fungus and bacteria. They will migrate out as this process happens. It, but the seeds can't do that. They can't move and the nutlets can't move. And so they will be killed. And that worked very well. So so those are, are two techniques. If you're starting to see the, the nut sedge or nut grass come into your landscape, pull it out immediately. I have that problem now in my uh, vegetable garden, which has you know recently... Uh, disturbed soil and it gets water and it gets nutrition and I'll see baby nutlets. Reference I read says if you get them before they have five leaves then they haven't formed any nutlets yet. I am not always successful at getting them that early but I am persistent and I'm getting all the plants out when they're babies and nothing is getting old and nothing is setting seed. That's another uh, thing to consider whenever you're trying to control a weed patch Get it out before it sets seed. Just maybe you're just going to cut the, the tops off, but don't let it set seed because then you could have hundreds from one plant. So get it when it's early before it has five leaves, cut it off or get those seed heads out before they mature and spread seed around. You can uh, sift the nutlets out of the soil. You can solarize or friend. What I was going to say was, if you want more information about soil solarization, check out episode 24 of Garden Basics, where we go go. into greater detail about soil solarization, which obviously is done when solar is best, and that would be the summertime. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So that is a seasonal event. There is one herbicide that can be used. I don't know that any herbicide says it will kill. Control Uh, is always the operative word. Control is the operative word. And control does not mean kill. 
but uh, Monterey Chemical Company creates uh, herbicides for homeowner use, and this one is called Sedge Hammer. And so you would read without the label, the L. right? Without Sedge the L, Hammer. yeah. And I, the first time I looked at it, I put the the L in there. But Fred's got the label up, yeah. And it's for control of nutsedge, which in garden talk means uh, we'll duke it out, but it'll probably be a draw. (laughs) (laughs) So you got to be persistent. You can't just go out one time, hit it with the sedge hammer, go away and say, oh, I took care of my weeds. Uh, Some will die. Some won't. Depends how many nutlets, because the nutlets aren't just a way to reproduce. They're also a source of food. So if you've killed the top and the top is unable to make food for the plant, then the nutlets will, the food from the nutlets will be uh, mobilized and brought into the plant and allow the plant potentially to regrow. So you have to be persistent. You have to go out again, uh, maybe two weeks later, let's say, and check those spots. Uh, And I would spot spray. I always spot spray if I ever use an herbicide. I don't want it to go places I don't want it to be. And, but go out and check those plants and see if they're truly gone. Some interesting wor- warnings about uh, using Sedgehammer, and it says this product may be used on established seeded, sodded, or sprigged turf grass. Allow the turf to develop a good root system and uniform stand before application. So you wouldn't want to do it if it's a fairly new lawn. Right. Treated areas may be overseeded with annual or perennial ryegrass or Bermuda grass two weeks after application. So that would in the, imply that its residual effect is not much. Right. So there's not much left in the soil if those seeds can germinate. And I think this one is, is true in a lot of situations. Avoid application of sedge hammer when turf grass or nutsedge is under stress since mm-hmm. turf injury and poor nutsedge control may result. Yeah. Putting on chemicals on a lawn that's already suffering from drought or whatever problem it just adds to the stress right when applying herbicides to a weed you want as much of the weed present as possible and you want that weed as healthy as possible then it it will because it's you have lots of the weed there you have more surface area to absorb the herbicide and because it's healthy it has more ability to absorb the herbicide it's a temptation to go out and weed as much of it out as you can and then come through with the herbicide. But that then you're wasting chemical. And that's not, we don't want to do that. So you want to have the weed w- well watered uh, as big as possible and then go out and zap it with the herbicide. As we are very fond of saying on this program, read and follow all label directions because there's a lot of warnings when using a product like Sedgehammer, including uh, don't spray over your desirable flowers and vegetables and ornamentals yes. because it'll, it'll harm those. But there are a lot of weeds that are controlled by Sedgehammer. It isn't just uh, yellow nut sedge and purple nut sedge. Uh, if you have problems with uh, morning glory, purslane, ragweed, shepherd's purse, I um, see pokeweed there, and poke that's weed. one that uh, my neighbor is not controlling, so it's showing up in my yard. It, it's not coming up in the turf, though. No. No, no. no. That would be weird. Boy, we could do a whole show on pokeweed. <laughs> it, it, it's one that people ask about a lot because it has such colorful berries, yeah. and those berries are poisonous. Yes, the berries are poisonous. and To us. Birds will eat them yeah. and poop them out, and that's how they end up well, in other people's yards. Apparently, if you grew up in the South, uh, they're okay. <laughs> Because you may have grown up eating poke salad. That's the leaves, I believe. That's the leaves. Right. And But they need to be processed several times before they become edible. I would just avoid the plant. I would. It's a gorgeous well. plant. It is very pretty. Yeah. 
It's got these reddish stems and those panicles of the purple berries in late summer and fall are just gorgeous. And it's a problem uh, here in the Sacramento area, too. And people think, oh, it's a beautiful plant. Right. Pretty yeah. universal across the country. You know what else is a pretty plant? Castor bean. Yes, it is. Yeah, it's gorgeous. But, it is. But it's poisonous. It's very poisonous, yes. Yeah. I always wanted a castor bean plant. I have a friend who has one on the container on his patio. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. All right. But it's just... And it's gorgeous. beautiful. Yeah, exactly. Beautiful, but deadly. Dun, dun, dun. He gave me seeds and I labeled them ricinus, which is really good. The genus. And yeah. then I thought, wow, I have to go through TSA. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if they're going to look, think I'm going to poison people on the plane with my ricinus. Yeah. Ricin is a poison and that's where it comes from. Yeah. Um, did you make it? Yes. They, nobody checked my seeds. <laughs> okay. Oh, look, the phone's ringing. It's uh, California Department of Food and Ag. <laughs> want to talk to you. Yeah. The uh, Yeah. So anyway, read and follow all label directions. And um, when controlling any sort of weed. And I think what you did is probably the most effective. And that's to dig it out. Dig it out. Right. Dig it out. And definitely, like you said, Get to it before it flowers. Yes. People who don't know what it is think it's pretty, or some do. Yeah. It looks kind of like a green umbrella or a palm tree, if you will. That's, you know, little six inches, eight inches mm-hmm. tall with this uh, flower head in the middle. That's sort of a yellowish flower head. But uh, nutsedge is very noticeable in a turf situation because it's usually a different shade of green than your right. lawn. And shinier. Yeah. And it's that shiny part that makes it uh, impermeable to a lot of uh, other herbicides. Right. Something so, has to break through that waxy coating. Yeah. Jerry, get a shovel. Big shovel. Or hire somebody. Yeah. You know, some kid who's willing to, who's detail-oriented yes. and willing to sit in your yard ad nauseum. <laughs> or, or start a, a horticultural college in your backyard, charge tuition, <laughs> and have them come over and, and dig it out yeah. and identify it. Yes. All right. All right, uh, Jerry, thanks for the question about Nutsedge. Good luck to all of us with that one. Thank you, Debbie. You're welcome, Fred. We're glad to have Smart Pots on board supporting the Garden Basics podcast. Smart Pots, it's the original award-winning fabric planter. It's sold worldwide, and Smart Pots are proudly made 100% in the USA. Smart Pots come in a wide array of sizes and colors. If a frost or freeze is in the forecast, moving your frost tender plants that are in the Smart Pots that have handles make them easier to move closer to the house for added warmth, or you could even move them inside for the winter. Visit smartpots.com Fred for more information about the complete line of Smart Pots lightweight, colorful fabric containers. And don't forget that slash Fred part, because on that page are details of discounts when you buy Smart Pots at Amazon. If you want to see them before you buy, Smart Pots are available at independent garden centers and select Ace and True Value hardware stores nationwide. To find a store near you, visit smartpots.com Fred. If you're thinking of growing fruit trees, or maybe you already have your own backyard full of fruit trees, well, you probably have a million questions. Like which fruit trees will grow well where I live? What are the tastiest fruits to grow? How do I care for them? What are the most important things to know when starting a backyard orchard? Well, the good news is those answers are just a click away with the informative videos that you can find at DaveWilson.com. 
That's Dave Wilson Nursery, the nation's largest grower of fruit trees for the backyard garden. At DaveWilson.com, you'll also find planting tips, taste test results, fruit variety recommendations, and links to nurseries in your area that carry Dave Wilson fruit trees. Your harvest to better health begins at DaveWilson.com. Every week, we like to talk with Warren Roberts out at the UC Davis Arboretum and Public Garden. He always has an interesting plant of the week for us, a plant that probably can do very well where you live. And today's plant is a plant that does well throughout most of the United States. In fact, it's a native to the eastern United States, and uh, it even is named after a saint. And Warren Roberts, what would that plant be? Well, we call it Michael Mistazy. And the Feast of St. Michael, Archangel, is on, I think it's on September 29th. And that's the time when the this uh, daisy, or group of daisies, are, are blooming. Because of that, it, that name was applied, Michaelmas daisies. It, you can look this up in, in uh, uh, texts that uh, talk about, about the saints. But sometimes the uh, Feast of St. Michael includes the other archangels as well. So it's a big day on the on the on the, uh, the the calendar of the of the Catholic Church. Michael Mistazies. There are two main species uh, involved, and they're from the eastern U.S. They have for a long time been called aster, A-S-T-E-R, asters, and um, aster N-O-V-I hyphen B-E-L-G-I-I. Novi Belgi is 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 a name of uh, given to what's now New York when it was part of the Dutch Empire. And uh, New Belgium was one of the names for it. New Amsterdam was the city, uh, New York, what's now New York City. So a little bit of historic background. And these daisies were noted at that time. There's another one fairly close related called Aster Nove Angliae, N-O-V-A-E, hyphen A-N-G-L-I-A-E, or the New England Aster. And uh, when I, in, in my lifetime, both of these species, they're hybrids, have been called Michaelmas daisy. So this is a plant that I've known since I was a little tiny kid. My grandmother had it in her garden in Bakersfield, California. And it's a tough plant. It's easy. I mean, it's easy to grow, not tough to grow. It's just very hardy. It needs some water in summer because it comes from an area that gets summer rain. But it doesn't need a lot. And their range in color, the main color would be violet blue, I think, to purple and off into pink, but also white, very pale, uh, purpley pink too. So those are the colors. Not a true blue, really. There's just too much violet in there for it to be a, what to be called a blue. But it has a blue appearance. Blooms for a long time, and many of the the species, or I should say, many of the varieties are easy. As I said, easy to grow and long blooming. So they start blooming about this time of year. That is to say, around. Feast of St. Michael, and then continue uh, on beyond until frost. There are some other species, though. Aster amellus, the European Michaelmas daisy, is also grown some. And uh, there's another uh, species of aster called Aster hybrid fricarti munch, M-O-D-R-S-S-N-C-H. These all look very much alike. And these are these are not to be confused with what we call aster, which is Calistephus chinensis. They're related to the Michaelmas daisies, but they look quite different and, and have a different horticulture. To make this even more complicated, most botanists are now recognizing 
the mycomas daisies as members of another genus called Symphiotrichum. Symphio, like S-Y-M-P-H-Y-O-T-R-I-C-H-U-M. So you'll start seeing that name as the generic name for the mycomas daisies uh, as time marches on. But asters, if you look things up, A-S-T-E-R, aster is probably the, the best name to use for now. I would think the one saving grace of all those plants that are called aster is they're all members of the Asteraceae family. That's right. And that they're the ones that give, it, give the family its name, the aster family or daisy family. Most of these Michaelmas daisies are easy to propagate by division. So when the flowering is over and the frost comes, the plant dies down. Before it starts growing again in the spring, you can dig them up and divide them into clumps, maybe a couple of inches across or an inch across or less. But there should be some stem and some root on these divisions. And plant them then where you want them. And then they look forward to flowers towards the end of September and on into October. Much like St. Michael the Archangel is usually pictured as very tall and upright, the Michaelmas daisy is no shrinking violet. It gets, what, four feet tall? Some of them get four feet tall, and that's a good thing to point out. Michaelmas daisies are, are, are pretty much straight up and down. They're not like pentstemons, which flop all over the place. They pretty much stay upright. And there are some dwarf forms, too, that only get about six or seven inches high. And those were bred, well, for a kind of a ground cover effect, but particularly for the cemeteries of, for World War One and World War Two in Europe. And uh, the fact that the plant is a North American native uh, figured into that as well. So there were a lot of Mycomastasis cultivars that are, re- are re- really rather small and kind of in that way easier to use in the garden. Does it have an invasive root system? Not Really, we have, I take that back, we have an, uh, one native to California, which is also native to Chile, which is uh, Symphiotrichum chiloense, I think it's called. And it can move around in the garden a little bit, but it's mainly used by by people who are, want just California natives in their garden, and it's not that widely available outside of the West Coast. That one's a little bit weedy, but the others are not not that I know of. My experience is not that they're not that weedy. But it could be that in areas that get summer rain, that they might be a little bit more uh, aggressively growing. So that's a question I don't know, really don't know the answer to for sure. Sounds like this plant may need a stake. May need a stake. Well, the taller ones might, but they, they have a fairly robust stem. It's the Michaelmas daisy. It is in the Asteraceae family. Beyond that, I can't tell you much, except it's named after an archangel, Michaelmas daisy. And uh, it sounds like it would be a winner for gardens throughout the country, Warren. I think so. Yes, I've seen it. I've seen it grown in Alaska, too. So, All right. It's the Michaelmas daisy. Look for it near you. For more information about the UC Davis Arboretum, visit their website, arboretum.ucdavis.edu. They have October plant sales uh, coming up, so you can check their website for more information about that if you're here in Northern California. And if you just want a list of good plants, visit their Arboretum All-Star list that they have online there at arboretum.ucdavis.edu. The plant of the week, the Michaelmas Daisy. Warren Roberts, thank you so much for that. Thank you, Fred. My pleasure.
Because there are so many demands on your time these days, well, I like to keep the Garden Basics podcast to under 30 minutes. But still, there's a lot more to tackle on all the garden subjects we bring up on the podcast. So for that and a lot more, we're starting up the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred newsletter. It'll be on Substack. It'll go into more details about what you just heard on the latest podcast. So yes, it will be a good supplement for the Garden Basics podcast, but there'll be a lot more garden-related material and, uh, you know, probably pictures of my dogs and cats as well. It's the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred newsletter. It's on Substack. And best of all, it's free. There's a link in today's show notes, or just go to substack.com and do a search for The Garden Basics with Farmer Fred. That's substack.com, The Garden Basics with Farmer Fred newsletter. Did I tell you it's free? It's free. Garden Basics comes out every Tuesday and Friday. It's brought to you by Smart Pots. Garden Basics is available wherever podcasts are handed out, and that includes Apple, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, Google, Podcast Addict, CastBox, and Pocket Casts. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and leaving comments. We appreciate it.